Hello and welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you? As per usual, Gary, I am positively splendid on this beautiful day. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. Sunday morning, recording this. Exactly. Uh, is there anything going on in your life at the moment? Because, you know, you're not on the Instagrams uh, these days, so people people aren't getting their Gary fix well, they might be getting their Gary fix, but they're not getting their skinny gals fix. Yeah, so I uh, tore my hamstring again, <laughs> which is a nice, a nice announcement for the people. Um, I had a triage post that I was going to do on it, but then uh, it wouldn't share. So uh, anyway, sorry, guys. But there's your update for the week. I tore my hamstring again. Thankfully, it's the other hamstring, not the one I ruptured last year and had to get surgery for. And um, it's not too severe, it seems. Just a, a more minor normie tear so uh we're we're gonna be fine you know probably a couple of weeks out of jiu-jitsu and i should be okay all things uh going well so yeah that's the update torn hamstring otherwise all going well you, you are literally the poster boy for anti jiu-jitsu propaganda yeah i'm constantly telling people i'm like oh it's uh jiu-jitsu is a really safe sport you know once you tap on time there's no risk of injury you're you'll be fine you know you can you can manage injury risk really well meanwhile over here ripping my hamstrings apart wrestling so sorry but anyway look the people aren't here to listen to your life story although they're interested what they probably most likely clicked into this episode to listen to or listen about is supplements we're on the supplement series gary so what what part of the supplement series are we talking about today? Like, What's the topic? Yes, today we're going to talk about supplements that pertain to the brain and in particular, the sort of uh, nootropic side of things. And, and nootropic is a word that's used to describe, excuse me, classes of supplements, medications, um, herbal compounds that are smart drugs. Um, or that are also known as smart drugs, and that basically attempt to improve your ability to think, to learn, to remember, and overall just enhance your cognitive function. So it's a very diverse group of supplements, because as you can imagine, there are many, many different um, biological compounds and molecules that could potentially interact with the brain in a way that might enhance your cognition. So it's a, a challenging supplement class to discuss in that sense, because there are many different uh, elements of cognition. So when you think about the brain and human psychology and things like learning and memory, they're not, you know, they're, they're not easy to describe in the sense of what does it mean to learn something? Okay, that's not that's not a specific singular biological pathway that you're trying to target. Rather, you're trying to augment different systems within the brain and then see how that relates to the process of learning, which might be the ability to attend to information while you're studying it, or it might be the ability for that information to be uh, integrated within what you already know within the brain, for example, while you're sleeping or when you're no longer studying that thing. So for that reason, Nootropic supplements are very diverse. You're not looking, you're never looking at a single pathway that we're trying to target, although certain supplements do, you know, hone in on certain pathways. Um, but I would just ask you from the get-go to appreciate 
the complexity here. Okay, so it's not always easy to, to describe why a certain supplement might might enhance very vaguely the way your brain works. Often there are multiple mechanisms at play. And unfortunately, because it's so complex, there's also a lot of, you know, it, it's easy to kind of mislead people in this area because I can just say this supplement enhances dopamine and just just mention that word but how does that actually relate to learning and memory outcomes in humans you know does it just because it enhances you know the level of a certain neurotransmitter in the blood doesn't necessarily mean it does anything to learning and memory so that's a, a starting point that's really important here yeah there's there's two things well there's a few things going on from the get-go that we really need to be aware of first of all like these are called smart drugs that's what people call them nootropics you know but there is no like really definable, this is what smart is, you know, like if you think of something, you know, just in your average everyday life, you have a friend, you might be like, oh, that person's really smart. But what kind of smartness do they have? Is it something like, oh, they just have a really good memory. They're always able to just like spit out the facts. You know, they literally read a book. They could tell you exactly what happened, you know, whatever right they have a really good memory then you could also be like oh my friend is really smart they have really good like you know pattern recognition they're able to really just like put things together they seem to have this like intuition of how things work you know you might be like oh my friend over here is just they have you know, phenomenal ability to focus they're just able to like hone in on a single thing and just focus in on that and really get good quality work done as a result of that right like you might also have a friend which is unfortunately not me that has a really good verbal fluency for example right they're able to just string together words they're able to really eloquently describe their thoughts the the convey the information that they're trying to convey they're able to do it really well the words they choose everything it's perfect right so there's different categories in terms of smartness right and the thing about well that's the first thing then we have various compounds right different drugs different supplements different molecules even different foods that interact with all of the systems that make that we'll call it cognition that make your brain effectively work right so there's all these different compounds molecules that you could potentially use to you know augment how your brain works and most of you guys listening to this are aware of this right you know you've been a bit tired you've been a bit like you know like i'm just not really able to focus on this you have a coffee oh cool you know 15 30 60 minutes later you're like boom, right. I'm actually, I'm really ready to go. I'm able to like focus a bit better. I'm able to, you know, get work done. I'm a bit more energized, et cetera. Right. So you are aware that you can take something, you can literally just ingest something and it will augment the way you experience the world, the way you interact with the world. Right. So you're aware of that, but similarly with caffeine, you know, a lot of these different compounds have what we would call off-target effects, right? So with caffeine, for example, you might be like, right, I'm going to take some caffeine to really hone in on this work that I have to do. But it has this off-target effect of maybe like raising your heart rate, right? which might be part of the process of like helping you study or do whatever it is that you need to do. But it also may be, you know, detrimental to other things that you're trying to do. Um, for example, again, caffeine might be detrimental to your sleep later in the day which ultimately might be a net negative for your overall cognition 
again, you might be like on the day I take a, you know, a cup of coffee. I have a cup of coffee, cup of coffee at 2 p.m. because I know I have a lot of work to do later in the day. I just I'm a bit tired today. Get it done. Right. But then all of a sudden you're not able to sleep. So the next day your cognition is reduced. You know, you didn't have a really high quality restorative sleep. So all of a sudden you're like, OK, well, is this a net negative now because I've taken this smart drug smart molecule uh, to augment my cognition so we have to take that into account that there's off-target effects that there's no real way to just go okay well i only want to manipulate this again this neurotransmitter or hormone or whatever very often that has you know other effects in other parts of the brain or other parts of the body and um, that we kind of have to be aware of right now having said all of that a lot of the stuff there's just overlapping systems you know if dopamine goes up in one part of the brain or you know dopamine i should say if dopamine just goes up it's probably going to have similar effects or you know different different but similar effects in different parts of the brain that serve to coordinate the end outcome like you know maybe it's memory you know it's like okay well dopamine going up up here is helping in memory formation for example we'll just say right so where it actually happens in the brain or whether there are off-target effects it's a little bit irrelevant to understand all the complexities unless you're going outside the norm and what i mean by that is if you're just doing stuff that you know it's freely available over the counter most times you're going to be okay right if you're taking drugs because we're going to talk about a few different like medications here then you really kind of know need to know a little bit more about the quote unquote off target effects, right? Or you, ideally you would be talking to a doctor about these things, getting them prescribed and a doctor knows about the off target effects. Um, but anyway, Gary, do you mind to say on that before we get into some of the kind of more say mechanisms that we could be looking at? No, I think it's, I think we can go into some of the mechanisms now and start to explore some of this. So the, the firstly, what we're going to do is describe very generally some of the different vectors that could potentially lead to a nootropic outcome. And then we'll get more specific on some of these areas. So first and foremost, some of the vectors of interest would be the augmentation of neurotransmitter systems. OK, so I say neurotransmitter systems because there are systems within the brain uh, that involve specific areas that release neurotransmitter neurotransmitters, which you can think of as molecules that are involved in signaling within the brain um, that have both specific and general outcomes. So for example, if you if you maximized a given neurotransmitter, like let's say you put um, noradrenaline up to the max, the brain would be very alert. It would be, you know, very awake. Everything would be very switched on. Okay. So you've got different neurotransmitters that have different general functions. They can be a bit more excitatory or more inhibitory in that if you were to get a, an excitatory neurotransmitter that really stimulated the brain, you'd be in that more alert state. If you had an inhibitory neurotransmitter, um, for example, that would be drugs used to sedate you, that would put you, make you more sleepy. It would shut down the brain and push you into a state of sleep. Okay. So there are general and specific effects here. And some of the vectors, yeah, go ahead. One of the things that I always, you know, I, I always use as a bit of an, an analogy is 
that neurotransmitters are effectively like brain hormones, right? Yeah. Because most people are aware of what hormones are. They might not know the exact specifics. And obviously hormones do have effects in the brain itself. But again, this is just an analogy. It's not an actual scientific like, oh, neurotransmitters are hormones, you know? But think of them like hormones. They have effects. Just like with testosterone, if testosterone binds to a part of your body, whatever cell in your body, it's going to have effects on that cell depending on what that cell is, like where it is, like it's going to have different effects. So when testosterone binds to muscle versus when testosterone binds to, I don't know, skin cells, like they have different effects, right? And that's because of the cell type that it is. And just like in the rest of the body, same within the brain, when we're talking about neurotransmitters, if testosterone binds to, you know, I don't know, hair follicle type cell, right? Uh, it's going to have specific effects there. Right. But if you just ramp up testosterone, like let's say you're taking t exogenous testosterone, you're injecting it because you're like, oh, I just want to get absolutely jacked out of my mind. Right. You're like, I want to get as big as possible. Your target effect is to build muscle. But by increasing testosterone, you have all these off target effects like, oh, well, now you've got, you know, a negative feedback to the HP, HPTA system. You know, your testicles atrophy, they get smaller. You start growing hair all over your body. You know, you might have more uh, acne, sebaceous glands. There's so many off-target effects from just ramping up that testosterone. And it's the same with neurotransmitters. They have different effects in different parts of the brain. Cool. That's very understandable. But this isn't just a oh on-off type switch. You know, it's like we can't just go, let's hit this to the max. And that's going to give us more of the target effect very often it just gives you more of the off-target effects. Absolutely. And that's something that we'll come back to when we discuss some of the the drugs and uh, supplements involved here as well. So some of the, the primary neurotransmitters that we're interested in really would be dopamine, uh, would be a big one that we're going to come back to, and then choline or acetylcholine as well is something that's really important. So um, then you have stimulants or wakefulness, which is a vector, and that involves the noradrenaline component of um, neurotransmission and also the two listed previously. But we, the reason we, we just say stimulants or wakefulness is because they're not necessarily just uh, brain-specific effects, which is something that's important here too, because it's easy to think of nootropic or smart drugs as just augmenting the brain but stimulants and wakefulness drugs also augment other systems within the body that may have effects on the brain but we need those effects within the body for that to occur for example it might be the increase in heart rate it might be the increase in uh, blood flow it might be the effects in the adrenals and releasing certain hormones so you can't just think of these as being brain events then you've got go ahead. That, like unless you're i don't know injecting something directly into your brain you're going to have to ingest it through yeah. your body. So it's not just going to go, oh, this is actually d destined to go to the brain. I'm not going to use whatever, choline, this dopamine, whatever. I'm not going to use the thing that you've taken, ingested only in the brain, right? It's going to go for through the rest of your body. <clears throat> it's going to get broken down, liver, first pass metabolism, whatever, and then get transported with the blood. So the blood is going everywhere, <laughs> right? So that's important to understand because again, you could be taking a drug, you could be taking something that has specific effects in the brain and just, you might not even be considering that, oh, well, it actually has effects across the rest of the body. And this is, you know, see this in different types of medication, for example, you, they might say, oh, well, this has 
specific effects in the brain. I'm taking this drug for its brain effects, but it might have a side effect of, I don't know, causing diarrhea or something, you know, um, which is you know, quite common with a lot of different drugs. Um, so again, we just need to keep in mind that you can't just disentangle both the brain and the body. They, we are just one, you know, it's, it's one unity. Absolutely. And this becomes really important as well when we come back to side effects later on. If you're just thinking about the brain, you might miss out on some really important side effects of these types of uh, supplements and medications. Then you've got energy support you could think of as being a nootropic mechanism. So some of the, the supplements are involved in providing energy substrates um, for the brain. An easy one that we probably will go into today because we've discussed it already would be something like creatine you know creatine provides a source of energy for the brain an important source of energy for the brain and therefore could be contributed or could be considered to be a nootropic rather than just a strength supplement as people typically think of it as and then you've also awesome. yeah on that sorry to interrupt again like even stuff like carbohydrates even just like just yeah. food in general like it is working at a we'll say a nootropic level in terms of you know like people do this all the time they, they mistake their their feelings like what they're feeling for actual objective reality and um, we know from almost every single study points in this direction um, but not having food earlier in the day and then doing cognitively demanding things leads to worse outcomes right like there's a reason why children in school they're always like oh well you need to make sure they have a good breakfast like you know schools have like breakfast clubs or whatever in like disadvantaged areas and you know different things like that to ensure that children are getting well fed because they know by feeding them well you actually encourage better learning outcomes right better cognitive outcomes now you might actually feel a bit more awake you might actually feel a bit more like oh i'm a bit more energized by not eating right and this is very common you see people go oh i'm going to intermittent fast I'm going to do like a time restricted feeding type thing where I'm only eating from, let's just say 12 to eight, just putting those whatever numbers. Right. Um, and they're like, Oh, I just feel so switched on in the morning when I'm not eating. And you might feel that, but it doesn't actually mean that you're getting objectively better cognition, right? Because your body could be pumping out different signals that lead you to feel more awake, that lead you to feel more like, Oh, I, I, I'm really energized. I'm really like, smart i'm really like dialed in but it doesn't actually mean that you are it's just a feeling you know you've got these different like if i just pumped you full of oxytocin gary you know uh you'd be like oh i just feel i love everyone around me right it doesn't actually mean that you love everyone around you it's literally just <laughs> uh, a, a drug right um and it's kind of the same case here um almost every single study well at least the ones that i've read show that people have better cognition better you know learning outcomes etc when they are in a fed state right um again you might be a bit more motivated to do things if you're not fed that's something that you know we might you could argue is the case you know there's all these different stimulatory uh neurotransmitters and hormones and whatever that are being pumped out into the system when you are in a, a fasted state but they don't necessarily lead to better learning outcomes better memory outcomes etc you know but if you know motivation or the ability to do, do things is your big issue then yeah that might be a valid strategy right and um, so again energy support is one of these things that 
we very often don't think of when we're thinking of like nootropics or enhancing cognition, enhancing the brain, but they are a really vital part of the whole thing. Like you want to be well fed, you want to be well nourished. And again, like Gary said, you could do different things like creatine. It feeds into this system, you know, carbohydrates, glucose, you know, fatty acids, even stuff like, you know, you could argue like ketone esters and different things like this. Like there's so many different energy supports that you could fit into this and then there's also things that are like we'll call them like fake energy which is kind of the previous system which is like stimulants and different things like that where like it feels like you have more energy or they might actually help you liberate some of your stored energy like again with like coffee for example it you know has lipolytic uh, effects so it might be able to in a fasted state or whatever help, help you just access the stored fats that you have already you know so there there are valid strategies but it still comes back to this like category of energy support absolutely and then the final one is kind of related and that's you know brain blood flow and oxygenation so some of these supplements that we'll discuss are just enhancing uh, blood flow within the brain enhancing the microcirculation within the brain um, and enhancing oxygenation so uh, they're all different mechanisms that you could consider to potentially enhance your cognition of course there will be others you know the brain is a very complex system and and therefore there's always going to be other mechanisms and that's something that you'll see mentioned as we work through some of the supplements sometimes the mechanisms are known sometimes they're unknown and very often you're looking at maybe two or three primary mechanisms but then there's all these subsidiary mechanisms as well that are at play caffeine's a great example of that okay so first and foremost if we start with just before we go on on to the actual all these in a bit more i just want to say that like when we've gone through all those different categories like you can actually start thinking okay well it actually doesn't have to be a supplement or a medication or whatever that i need to take to you know touch on one of these categories for example brain blood flow and oxygenation like you could start thinking well if i was actually just a little bit fitter like if i was if i was to be aerobically fitter that would probably lead to better cognition because you have better, you know, microvascularization, vascularization of different tissues. You have more mitochondria. You know, there's different things where you're going. Okay, that I see how now that plays into cognition, right? If you're eating a good diet and we're talking about energy support improving cognition, you're like, okay, I could see how that plays into it. When we're talking about stimulants and like wakefulness promoting agents, again, you start thinking, well, if I actually just had really good sleep. I probably would feel more awake and that's probably going to lead to better, uh, you know, cognition, whatever. And similarly with stress, you're going, okay, well, if I had better stress management, then I'm allocating the resources that I have better. And I'm able to have more like, like I'm basically able to push stress a little bit harder when I need to, because I know I can dial it back when I should be relaxing because going back into the sleep thing, like we know that it's during sleep that a lot of like memory formation happens a lot of like the consolidation of everything that you've learned and the kind of, we'll call it forward planning. Um, we know what happens during sleep. So you, you could go back and do the sleep supplement podcast and go, there you go. Everything you can do to improve sleep that's actually a nootropic, right? So again, we just need to, I I know we're on the supplement series and I know we've done entire series on sleep, stress management, et cetera. Um, but, but it is important to really just start thinking of this in more of a, I hate the word, but a holistic manner where 
like the habits that you engage in, those foundational habits, like they're foundational for a reason. You have to get them ticked off. You have to do them to really be able to go, okay, now I'm going to start thinking about supplements. Like there's no point supplementing with any of these things if you are not ticking those foundational boxes. Like your diet is not good. Your stress management is not good. Your sleep is not good. You're not doing some exercise overall, right? Um, so that's just my little uh, soapbox. Yeah, absolutely. And really important. So um, with that said, do you want to introduce some of the basic functions of dopamine? You know, I'm, I'm sure people have a, a kind of a vague understanding because this is one that's in the, I think, the pop culture lexicon. You know, people talk about dopamine all the time, but what are some of the things that it's responsible for? Yeah. <clears throat> dopamine is one of those ones that people are like, oh, like, yeah, this is this is this is something brain related. Right. And we don't need to get into all the mechanisms or the like biosynthetic pathway of dopamine. Um, but what we do seem to know from the research is that dopamine is involved in motivation. It's involved in reward signaling. It's involved in executive function. Right also involved in memory formation and motor control, right? So when we're thinking of this from like a nootropic standpoint, we could start going, okay, well, if I had slightly higher levels of dopamine, I'm going to be a little bit more motivated to do this task, right? And you would be right, right? You also see, okay, well, I get some dopamine release when I do a task, and that gives me this kind of feedback mechanism of, uh, we'll say, the reward pathway where, oh, I've done this task. Now I'm getting a little bit of reward from it because, you know, it, it basically it, it feels good to do the thing, right? Because dopamine helps feel good, right? Uh, executive function. Like this is one of those things where, you hear people with like ADHD, they have poor executive function. Like I personally have ADHD and it is a potentially, again, there's multiple theories of what exactly ADHD is, et cetera. Um, but it is a dopamine dysregulation. And now it could be caused by a variety of different things along the pathway. It could be dopamine receptors, could be dopamine release, could be dopamine clearing. There's so many things that are going on, but it does play a role in executive function. And executive function is a bit of a weird one because we don't generally talk about it, but it is basically your ability to actually do the things that you know need to be done, right? And that's just very simplification of it because you'll see someone that has ADHD, for example, they'll say like, oh yeah, I know I need to do all these things. They're like, I have this list of things I'm able to do, like make the list. So I'm like, this, do this, do this, do this. But then actually actioning on it that's where they find the the hard thing. And that can cause a lot of like internal stress because they're like, all right, I know I should be doing this thing. I feel crap because I'm not doing this thing, but I can't actually motivate myself to do this thing or I can't really get myself to do this thing. And, you know, depending on the type of person you are, the type of personality you have, the other brain related things, like if you're a conscientious person, that might, you know, really help with your uh executive function you know if you have like someone else going like oh you need to do this but this is very often you see in again people with adhd and also people without adhd where they leave things till the very last minute because they need that kind of external stimulus that external like excitation of oh i only have six hours left to do this you know whatever task you know i, I really need to do it now so they basically leave things till the very end so they can use a different system you know we'll call it the stress system you know <laughs> all those stress hormones to overcome the fact that their dopamine is dysregulated, right? But dopamine is also involved in memory formation, right? 
It's also invo- involved in motor control. And this is why a lot of, you know, Olympic athletes, for example, they all have ADHD, right? They all oh, yeah, happen to have this where they're able to take drugs then that are about stimulating, but also improve motor control, right? Now, that's not to say that every single person that's an athlete that has, you know, ADHD diagnosis is, you know, lying just so they can get performance enhancing drugs. But just like with asthma, and we've talked about before, there is a disproportionately high amount of it. Now, again, you could also make the <clears throat> make the case that all of these people, their parents put them into sports early because they had ADHD and they just wanted to like burn off some of that energy. That's definitely part of this thing. But again, we do know that they these drugs do have uh, performance enhancing effects because they play a role in motor control, right? Um, now, you are the medical uh, doctor or soon to be medical doctor. What happens when, you know, the dopamine system is just gone, right? Because obviously we've talked about ADHD. That's just some dysregulation in the dopamine system. What happens if we didn't have dopamine or there's a real, you know, dysregulation, properly dysregulated dopamine system? What happens then? Yeah, so the the most classic example and one that's actually really illustrative when you think about motivation is Parkinson's disease. Because in Parkinson's disease, it's typified by a hypodopaminergic state. So you get a loss of dopaminergic neurotransmission within the brain. And then as a result, what happens is you get all of these various motor symptoms that are classic of Parkinson's disease. But what's most interesting about the the motor presentation is that it causes freezing. Okay, so it causes freezing where the person will try to step but they're not able to initiate the movement, okay? Um, they'd also get this intention tremor and they'll get a, a just general difficulty initiating movement. So it's almost like there's this barrier between their intent, what they want to do, and their ability to like physically motivate themselves. Like the motivation or the intent is there, but they're not able to overcome that final barrier. So there's there's an analogy there with kind of psychological motivation as well. And we see that, when it comes to um, cognitive effort as well, where the hypodopaminergic state m- makes things seem like there's more cognitive effort associated with them and it's more difficult to take those steps. And when you correct for that then with dopamine repletion, you improve the um, physical and psychological tendency towards effort, towards cognitive effort, towards physical effort, they're better able to execute that. So it's more regulated once again. So you can see there, that's obviously an extreme case of um, dopamine depletion or dysregulation of dopaminergic neurotransmission. But you can see there how that might be important when it comes to someone that has, let's say, you know, a, a deficit of 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 dopamine within the brain what would happen if you had just slightly lower levels of dopamine or what would happen if we were able to top that up through supplementation could we potentially um improve our our motivation our executive function as you said your memory formation could we could we do that potentially okay and that's what some of these supplements relate to yeah 100 what's the next system then that we would talk about because we're going to go back and we're going to go okay well what what supplements yeah. or what molecules or whatever actually target this system and again as we talked about before, very often a lot of these drugs, supplements, whatever, they're working through multiple mechanisms, but it's important to go, okay, well, if there's a dopamine component of it, what does that mean? Okay, so there's going to be some 
component or some effect related to motivation, reward signaling of executive control, maybe memory formation and motor control, right? So we just want to keep it clear in our mind. That's why we're going through these things. But what's the next one, Gary? And the next one is acetylcholine. So acetylcholine is just distributed throughout the body in terms of its role in neurotransmission. Um, general and specific effects. Some of the ones that you'd associate with acetylcholine um, levels within the brain would be things like arousal, attention, memory, and motivation, and also cell-to-cell communication as you know, typified in muscle contraction. So we always talk about that when it comes to muscle contraction, the role of acetylcholine um, there in the synapses. Okay. So um, if you were, if you want a, an example of where this would be important, again, you could think of something like Alzheimer's disease. So acetylcholine plays a role here in the brain. If you've got acetylcholine depletion within the brain, which is something that is observed in Alzheimer's disease, and then you inhibit the breakdown of acetylcholine so that you have more of that within the, the synapse and within the brain you basically end up with uh, an improvement in cognitive function. So that loss of cognitive de- or that cognitive decline in Alzheimer's disease, when that's treated with acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, so acetylcholinesterase would be the enzyme that breaks down acetylcholine within the synapse. So if you inhibit that, you get it acting for longer within the synapse and thus within the brain. When you treat that, um, you get an improvement in cognitive function and it slows down cognitive decline in Alzheimer's disease and also other uh, dementias and, and brain-related conditions. It also happens within uh, muscle. There's a disease called myasthenia gravis, which is uh, a, a muscle. Uh, it's not just a muscle-related condition, but again, what you see here is um, d- a defect in acetylcholinesterase. So, if you treat someone with uh, myasthenia gravis, you can reverse the loss of muscle function, which is kind of similar to Alzheimer's disease, but in muscle rather than in the brain. So there's no need to go into pathophysiology there, but you can just see that acetylcholine plays a very diverse role throughout the body, but can, of course, play a role here in terms of arousal, attention, memory, and motivation. Yeah, and it's just important to understand, <clears throat> well, I should say, actually, on the dopamine side of things, like in ADHD, they might get you to take... Uh, uh what's the enzyme can't even think of it the enzyme that breaks down dopamine right um they might give you some sort of inhibitor of that such as ritalin right and that might lead to higher levels of dopamine because you're not breaking down dopamine right so that might lead to higher levels of dopamine where you need them and as a result you can overcome the effect of low dopamine they do i i believe sometimes use that in parkinson's as well but i think more so they use actual like dopamine agonists or try to supply dopamine itself i think they use uh, levodopa or levodopa yeah um but on the acetylcholine side of things like you actually see this used like we're talking about an acetylcholine esterase uh, inhibitor right and that you might be going okay well maybe i could use that but if you over inhibit this like for example they actually use this in like some weapons of mass destruction like sarin gas like sarin gas is a almost i think it's a suicidal ir- irreversible acetylcholinesterase inhibitor so as a result like you just don't break down acetylcholine and you die right um so there it's not always a case of oh more is better or let's just not break this down let's just keep it there in the you know, the, the synapse or wherever it is like for longer, that's not always better. And it's important to understand now, again, I'm not, I don't think you just taking this over the counter supplement is going to cause 
<laughs> death or whatever. Um, they're usually quite well regulated. But if you're buying some random stuff online, you know, maybe it's less well regulated. But <clears throat> it is just a an important thing to understand that it's not just a case of more is better or let's just inhibit the breakdown of this so it's in the wherever it's supposed to be for longer that's not always better right it, it can be uh, a negative both a net negative and then also like an acute negative at that time you know yeah absolutely and that comes up all the time when we look at drugs <clears throat> in relation to these systems um and then finally i suppose the the mechanism that you might want to target would be something like, uh, you know, stimulation. So stimulants and wakefulness. So pretty straightforward to understand here. If you're more alert, you can be more attentive. You can focus for longer. And that's something that might be of benefit. And these drugs are probably the most commonly used in that caffeine is uh, the most commonly used uh, psychoactive drug. You see me there sipping on my monster. And, you know, that's an example of a, a nootropic supplement. We just don't often think of it as being as such um so yeah that fits into the stimulants and wakefulness category so rather than and just on that as well like it, it again they they're very often mixed in terms of caffeine also has dopaminergic effects it also does stuff like uh increases the density of dopamine receptors over time you know so it's like they all of these things very very often don't just have a singular effect they have multiple vectors through which they're working through but if we understand that these are the main three things that all of these different nootropics are working to working through, right? They're either working through the dopamine system, whether it's, you know, inhibiting the breakdown of dopamine, whether it's, you know, providing the substrates for dopamine, whether it's doing something through dopamine, like it's an agonist to dopamine, whatever, um, or it's working through this acetylcholine system, or it's just generally causing stimulation so that you can, again, be a bit more dialed in with things you know and um, which is again this is the stimulation wakefulness thing is an interesting one because it very often shows you the effects of something like you know dopamine for example right because you know you give someone that has adhd like even caffeine right which does have dopaminergic effects um but they become more focused and less like hyperactive even though you might be thinking well if i give someone a stimulant right a stimulant again adderall for example is a drug classically used for uh adhd and you're going okay well this person is apparently overstimulated they're just like bouncing around off the walls it's like classic you know archetype of uh, adhd especially the hyperactivity component right and then you go oh here's a stimulant and then all of a sudden they're able to sit still they're able to focus they're able to like you know have good executive function it shows you that it's not always intuitive in terms of what's going to happen when you provide uh, a drug, a molecule, whatever, into the system, right? Because you might think, well, surely if I give a stimulant to someone that looks like they're overstimulated, I'm going to have yeah, chaos on my hands. But it's actually the opposite, right? So again, that's just important to, to understand. Absolutely. And then that brings us on to some of the substances that can augment those uh, mechanisms that we've just discussed. And the first one will be those related to dopamine. So there are various precursors of uh, dopamine, including things like phenylalanine, tyrosine, and L-dopa, which exist on that pathway um, towards uh, dopamine synthesis. Now, again, very much related to what you just said, the dope, the uh, amino acid um, synthesis pathway towards dopamine is also the same as that of noradrenaline. So 
when you're looking at uh, these different neurotransmitters, you can increase precursors. That doesn't necessarily mean that it just ends up that you have more dopamine. I mean, they could be uh, broken down. There could be a rate limiting enzyme. It could go towards the synthesis of another compound within the body. So it's not as simple as just giving the precursor and getting more of the neurotransmitter. So in this case, when you're looking at precursors such as tyrosine, which is probably the most commonly used precursor for dopamine synthesis. I would, I would argue phenylalanine because like even well, in yeah. <laughs> Coca-Cola, like they have to put on the labels, like this is a source of phenylalanine because yeah. some people have that phenylketonuria, so they, they actually can't break down, I suppose you would say, uh, phenylalanine. So that's probably the most one. And this is why stuff like, you don't, you don't even realize just how good of a marketing i suppose you'd say it is where they put like extra phenylalanine i don't know if they actually put extra in it but it is a source of phenylalanine in it uh like cokes and stuff right where it's like oh here's the caffeine that's giving you the stimulating effect but also here's a little bit of dopamine that's like also trickling in so that you really have reward the reward system activated from taking this you know uh drug effectively but this this drink you know so oh it's coca-cola and i'm not just picking on coca-cola like they all do it like pepsi mm -hmm. etc yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the so phenylalanine is probably the one you're getting in the most of, but tyrosine is the one that, that you know, people will actively supplement with in an attempt to uh, increase dopamine levels. And the thing is, there's, there's a supply and demand relationship here that is kind of consistent with all of these nootropic supplements where if you're if you're if your brain or your body isn't asking for more of the precursor to ramp up its synthesis, that that precursor can just go elsewhere it can be metabolized it can be broken down it can be excreted okay and that seems to be the case with tyrosine where when you supplement with extra tyrosine it it has a a beneficial effect on dopamine synthesis and cognitive function if the levels of dopamine have been depleted so for example if you've been in a high stress state let's say you're a a, a worker in a super cold environment, you know, you're doing a cognitively and physically demanding task and you're just totally depleted, totally stressed. That's an example where providing more of the precursor to ramp up synthesis might actually be of benefit. But if you don't have that stressor in the first place, then you mightn't actually benefit from supplementing here. So the evidence as a result is kind of mixed. It seems like where there's a higher demand for a precursor, you get more of a benefit where that demand isn't there you don't really see much of an effect on cognitive function. So um, potential benefit here with precursors, um, but it, it does just depend on the, that supply-demand relationship. 100%. don't really have anything to add on that. Then you've got direct stimulants, which again augment the dopamine system, such as amphetamines and caffeine. Uh, caffeine also, you know, via adenosine, the dopamine is kind of a secondary effect. Um, and I'm going to come back to that below because we're going to discuss stimulants and wakefulness, and we're just going to repeat ourselves otherwise. Similarly, we've got um, drugs that can reduce dopamine reuptake. Okay, so if you reduce uh, reuptake, then that dopamine acts in the neurotrans in the synapse for longer. That would include something like Ritalin or methylphenidate. So again, we're going to come back to that in stimulants and wakefulness below. And then finally, you've got caffeine, as we said, which increases the dopamine receptor expression. And that, again, is going to be discussed below. So I'm going to come back to those three when we discuss stimulants and wakefulness um, because they are they fit into multiple categories, as we said. Now, the next one would be uh, choline. Okay, so how can we augment the cholinergic system? You can supplement directly with... Um, various choline sources one of the most common in the nootropic space would be alpha gpc um and this is 
one that does have some evidence to support its use. So when you supplement with alpha GPC, the idea here is that you're providing a choline source that will lead to greater acetylcholine synthesis. And this has been demonstrated to improve cognitive function or reduce cognitive decline in acetylcholine depleted states, such as Alzheimer's disease. But again, we, we're probably in one of these cases here where we've got a supply and demand issue. So similar to tyrosine or the dopamine uh, precursors that we mentioned, in Alzheimer's, you've clearly got a, a depletion of acetylcholine and therefore there's more of a demand. And if you give more supply, you get more at the other end. In a healthy individual with normal cognitive function, there's not as much evidence for alpha GPC. Um, you'd expect that there's probably less of effect, but there probably is still some effect. The evidence is quite poor in this area. As you can imagine, these types of uh, supplements get tested in disease states because there's an incentive there. If Alzheimer's disease is a, a disease that has you know profound impact on people, and unfortunately, there's very little that can be done in terms of pharmacology. So obviously, there's a lot of funding that goes into research. For something like students increasing their grades by you know five marks <laughs> there's not as much of an incentive to heavily research these uh these supplements so there's probably something there there's also some evidence in athletes that alpha gpc can potentially improve um things like uh, a po power output is actually one of the areas that you see this and that would probably come back to the fact that acetylcholine uh, is involved in nicotinic acetylcholinergic transmission at the uh, in muscle, as we said. So it's not just a, a brain supplement. So there's probably something there. Um, people do, you know, report benefits from it. Um, and as I said, there is some evidence. It's just not of the greatest quality. That's all I'd say there, really. 100%. And on like stuff like <clears throat> acetylcholine esterase inhibitors, um, like, again, they're just to break down or to stop or to slow i suppose the breakdown of uh choline um and again as i said there are weapons of mass destruction that play into this system so it's like more is not always better now if you overdose on huberzine a i don't think that's going to be something that <laughs> kills you possibly could it's also important to understand that some people do actually have um like pseudo acetylcholine esterase uh, deficiencies like i personally do right and um, so they just break down acetylcholine much more slowly so they're able to have more of that acetylcholine at the cell you know communication point right um but also this system like you mentioned there gary is the nicotinic acetylcholine uh system we'll say at the muscle level at least there are some other things that we don't necessarily need to get into and nicotinic you might be thinking i think i that relates to some other compound i've heard is is there a reason it's called a nicotinic yeah there is a reason and that's because it's uh, agonized by nicotine okay so nicotine itself is indeed a uh, a nootropic supplement um it also you know augments the the dopamine system so again it's not just a a single uh, effect but you know you're probably thinking Okay, so should we just take up smoking? <laughs> Unfortunately, long-term smoking for reasons separate to nicotine is harmful for your brain. It you know, increases risk of dementia and cognitive decline uh, because smoking comes with many, many other toxic effects, increasing oxidative stress in the brain, compromising blood flow, et cetera, which would be harmful for your brain. Now, short-term, one of the things that does cause addiction in smoking is the nootropic effect of the nicotine. So when someone smokes, 
they immediately get that hit of nicotine. It's a very short acting effect. And then they want it again. And nicotine supplementation is actually demonstrated to be a, a solid, you know, cognitive enhancer. Um, the problem, of course, is that one, there's, you know, potential for addiction. Even if you're not smoking, if you're just taking nicotine, you can still become addicted to nicotine. And then there's also the fact that, you know, nicotine's stimulatory effects also act on systems beyond the brain, such as the cardiovascular system. So, you know, if you're taking a lot of nicotine, you're also going to be increasing your blood pressure, increasing your heart rate, potentially increasing risk of arrhythmia if you're already susceptible to that. So, you know, it's it's not a it's not a benign intervention. And that's kind of the case with a lot of these supplements is that there's almost always off-target effects and a lot of them do relate to the cardiovascular system. So you have to take care. But nicotine, it does indeed have cognitive enhancing properties. And then the next one is actually kind of the class of drugs that would have been the first smart drugs um, kind of discovered or, or, or related to the this term or this use of the word smart drugs started with the racetam with piracetam in particular um was kind of the first smart drug that came into play i think in the, the 60s or 70s and the mechanism even though it's been around for so long is actually kind of unclear it's a lot less um it's a lot less specific in terms of a, a given neurotransmitter it does interact with cholinergic neurotransmission but it has other mechanisms related to membrane fluidity, neuroplasticity, neuroprotection, affecting microcirculation and more. So it's actually, um, uh, it's 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 uh, similar to GABA in terms of its structure and GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So you might think, how does that fit in here? And it actually has nothing to do with what GABA does itself. It's actually its effects on these various systems. Okay. So the racetams, there's piracetam, phenylpiracetam, oxyracetam. There's tons oh. of them now. Um, so they do have uh, cognitive enhancing uh, effects as well. But again, like all these drugs come with lots of side effects. Okay. So then you've got potentially come with lots of side effects. Potentially, potentially, especially when overdosed. <laughs> um, but then we've got uh, stimulants and wakefulness, which is kind of probably the most popular category here when it comes to people trying to enhance their cognition. The first one, of course, being caffeine. So you want to give it, give us a little bit of insight into, into caffeine. Do you use caffeine? Does it, does it enhance your cognition? Well, I'm an idiot, so probably not. Um, but again, stimulants, wakefulness, this is the one that most people really focus on because it also gives you the feeling of like, Oh, I'm, I'm really dialed in. Right. Because it's stimulating right? But that doesn't actually mean that it's improving cognition, right? You could, you could take a load of caffeine and still have shit cognition. You still have shit memory formation or whatever, right? It's like, it's not, it's not necessarily interacting with the system. Now, caffeine actually does with the different systems, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but stimulants or being able to stay awake for longer or being more, we'll say aroused while you're awake. Like, you know, if you're just your general level of arousal for the day is like, you know, five out of 10 and you take some sort of wakefulness promoting agent, some sort of stimulating agent. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm seven or eight out of 10. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm dialed in, you know? Um, so this is the one that most people focus on. Caffeine is like, it does a lot of things. It mainly works through this uh, adenosine receptor. Uh, and that's, it's kind of occupying the receptor so that adenosine itself can't actually bind. So you don't, it's not in this regard, it's not necessarily actually doing anything. The fact that it's doing something is by virtue of the fact that it's not letting 
another thing bind to that receptor. So it's basically holding a, a wall up to adenosine so that it can't bind. And as a result, you get some wakefulness promoting effects. But really what you're getting is anti unwakefulness, anti-tiredness uh, effects, right? Now, that's not entirely true. There are some other things that are going on when it does bind to that. There's like calcium signaling, uh, PDE uh, inhibition, much more. But you can think of it like that. It's anti-tiredness, right? So it's it's basically keeping you, you know, more awake for a longer period of time. Now, there are some cognitive enhancing effects from this. You know, they it, it makes you more aroused, as I said, makes you able to concentrate. It also has mood boosting effects. So, you know, you're doing something that you normally would find a bit boring or, you know, you don't want to be there, but all of a sudden you have your coffee and oh, everything feels a bit better. And this is kind of similar. We should have many, maybe mentioned it with the nicotine as well. Like it does have some uh, addictive properties. Anything that's working through the dopamine system as well probably has some form of addictive properties. And this generally will come down, like how addictive it is, will come down to how fast you're getting it into the system. Like if it's dripping into the system over a couple of hours, it's probably going to be less addicting because it's, you're not building like this habit formation, right? Whereas if you're smoking, you're basically getting that nicotine right into the system pretty fast. So it becomes very habit forming, right? But some people use stuff like nicotine or caffeine to effectively become addicted to the thing that they want to do. For example, study, maybe they really struggle with study. So you use this kind of like almost Pavlovian response where uh, when I study, I take my nicotine or I take my caffeine and it kind of builds this habit of, oh, I'm going to get a reward. I'm going to get some trickle of dopamine by doing this thing. And people do this through various other mechanisms as well. Like you can do it with food. Like people basically reward themselves. They're like, oh, I'm going to study a chapter of this topic or whatever. And then I'm going to have, I don't know, a chocolate bar or something, you know, like people do stuff like that to, again, kind of hack this system. And again, caffeine can play into this right it does prevent uh or seems to prevent long-term cognitive decline um so it's not just working through like promoting wakefulness like it does have actual brain effects right now in general uh, when we're talking about nootropic effects you don't want to be overly stimulated that can actually detract from your ability to focus again coming back to you know, ADHD, you're like, okay, well, this person looks like they're overstimulated. They're not able to focus. And I know that's not exactly what's happening, but that's what it looks like. So you can kind of get an idea of if you're sitting there jittering and you're like, your heart rate is just bouncing out of your chest. It's all over the place. Like you can imagine that that's not conducive to good cognition. That's not conducive to your best work. Right. So we don't want to be overly stimulated. And this is why we're not going to be hammering like, you know, a, a gram of uh, caffeine before you sit down to study. <laughs> Right. But what people often do is they'll have a lower dose of caffeine, but they'll also combine it with L-theanine. So they get a bit of a smoother ride with that uh, stimulation because L-theanine has, you know, we'll call it synergistic effects in terms of it actually reduces the negative kind of off target, you know, <clears throat> wired jittery kind of effects, but it also seems to enhance that kind of cognitive effects. Now, L-theanine has its own potential cognitive enhancing effects, but we're not necessarily going to get into it right here. But I just wanted to note that a lot of people are using for cognitive effects, caffeine and L-theanine gives a smoother ride. It gives a smoother stimulation. But if you're going to do that, you probably only need, you actually probably need less caffeine, 
right? Because they do have kind of synergistic effects, right? Um, then we also have kind of more drugs. And Gary, again, seeing as you're the, the chief medical officer at a triage, um, maybe you want to talk about the drugs. And again, these drugs, while they are stimulants, potential wakefulness promoting agents, they do also work through the other systems that we've been talking about mostly uh, a lot of the time they're working through the dopaminergic system um, but they do have other effects as well so what's the first one gary yeah, the first one is um amphetamines which is you know a class of drugs it's not just a single drug um and these are you know general central nervous system stimulants so there's strong abuse potential here um obviously methamphetamine is probably the one that comes to mind here for people um and it's it's you know it's it's nothing i would be recommending okay i think um, amphetamines definitely have one of the stronger abuse potentials um and therefore as you escalate and dose more side effects associated with that so generally not recommended but um adderall adderall what which which type of amphetamine is adderall do you remember do you know adderall is a mix of amphetamines anyway so yeah i'm not sure which ones Okay. So um, anyway, but Adderall is a, a, a trade name uh, example of that there. Uh, but yeah, strong abuse potential, potential for side effects. The other one would be uh, Ritalin, which is methylphenidate. And this is a dopamine and noradrenergic uh, reuptake inhibitor. So again, as we said, with reuptake inhibitors, you're stopping it from being from the, you're stopping the neurotransmitters from being taken back up within the synapse. And therefore they act for a greater period of time. So you get more dopamine and more noradrenaline acting within the synapse so there's less of a risk of addiction here than versus something like the amphetamines um because the therapeutic doses is not really strong enough to to potently activate the reward system which would be the mechanism of addiction here so lower risk of addiction um and does have they, they do have evidence uh, or ritalin does have evidence to support its effect on um, improving cognitive function. That's obviously going to be greater in someone who has a clinical need, such as uh, someone with ADHD, for example. Um, and that is, you know, going to lead to an improvement in cognitive function, potentially improved learning and memory as well as a result. Um, but generally isn't, you know, you're not going to be able to get this online. Okay, this is a prescribed drug, um, but it does have nootropic properties. And of course, it does also have side effects for example, related to the cardiovascular system, all these stimulant, stimulant drugs can have adverse effects in the cardiovascular system. So if you were someone who, let's say, had an underlying heart condition already, could potentially be very vulnerable to these side effects. Then another drug, which is... Just on those as well, like a lot of times students will use like amphetamines or Ritalin to help them study. And mainly what they're trying to do with that is not actually the cognitive effects what they're really trying to do is have more motivation to study to actually be able to sit down and study they're using it as a kind of like habit forming drug if you will um and like that's fine whatever like i'm not gonna argue with people's choices but there are lots of side effects to that there's a lots of negatives to that and realistically you could probably just overcome the fact that you struggle to you know, study for periods of time by working on your habits. That would probably be a much safer method of going about this stuff. Like actually sitting down and going, okay, well, I need to form good habits around study. I'm going to actually set aside time during my week to do this rather than what often happens is Gary, you're in college, you've been in college. As you know, a lot of times in the lead up to exams, 
that's when people are like, oh, I'm in, I'm in the in the library or in studying for six, seven hours per day. And that's when everyone's using their their Ritalin or their amphetamines rather than, okay, well, it's the start of the year. I'm going to start as I mean to go on and I'm going to get into a good practice of doing whatever, an hour, two hours of study every single day. And yeah, I might ramp it up closer to the exam, but it's on the backdrop of already having done a lot of stuff already. Absolutely. So, you know, ha- habits trump this and we're going to come back to that at the end. Like the with all these supplements, if your habits aren't in the right place and you don't have a good system for studying or working, et cetera, you're just totally wasting your time. And modafinil is, is probably the, you know, the final drug of, of relevance here. And modafinil is a weak dopamine reuptake inhibitor, um, also increases serotonin and adrenaline in the prefrontal cortex, which is your area of executive function. So similar to Ritalin here, you know, they have similar indications where modafinil is often used um, these days would be in narcolepsy or shift work um sleep disorder so different types of sleep disorders it's promoting wakefulness it's promoting alertness it can give you a euphoric feeling similar to that which someone would experience in response to caffeine if they're caffeine naive and you can also get you know reductions in appetite that's that's considered a side effect but it's probably you know one of the reasons people use it in some cases if they're trying to use it as a, an augment to their dieting practices um, well, actually, most of the stimulants they do have yeah they all have that effect really appetite effects you know again if you're hyper stimulated you're really jittery or whatever like you're probably not hungry mm-hmm. and it also um can it we mentioned the serotonin we mentioned the noradrenaline we mentioned dopamine so modafinil is also used in um or it's been demonstrated in some studies to improve responses uh, to SSRIs in depression. And importantly, depression is multifactorial. So you can't just look at it as low serotonin. And that's why some of these drugs can also help in depression. Okay. So modafinil itself. Ritalin as well is also sometimes yeah. in depression. And again, it makes sense. Dopamine makes you feel good. And also your depression might be a case like say, for example, ADHD, one of the biggest comorbidities or most common comorbidities in ADHD is depression. You know, so it's like, like, it makes sense. These things are all related, as we said at the start and throughout, there's off target effects. They're not just doing one singular thing. They're often working through multiple pathways. Yeah. So modafinil, again, it works like Britlin. They work, you know, they do. They can assist your ability to be a more productive student, be a more productive worker, etc. But these these drugs are, you know, they're prescription drugs. They're licensed for particular indications. And generally, you're going to get a, a lot of pushback in terms of using them for, let's say, trying to get ahead at university. Um, some of these questions are related to health. You know, people will say, well, you shouldn't use medications to, you know, get better grades if they're going to harm your health. And, you know, fair enough. That's not an invalid argument, but... People often use various other types of drugs to assist with their lifestyle as well, such as the end of a hard study day, someone will drink alcohol to de-stress, potentially has greater side effects than some of these medications long-term. just don't really know. So I think there there is a a small element of, I would say, maybe stigma associated with the use, use of these drugs for studying. And I think that's probably because people have this kind of underlying uncertainty of, it's sort of like sport where, wait, is that cheating? Are you are you just trying to get ahead? You know, people don't don't really like that. It, it can sound like that sometimes. So I think there's probably a bit of stigma and bias against these drugs. Um, but also 
they are drugs. And I do agree that, you know, relying on um, study drugs that have consequences for your health and that probably aren't great to use consistently long term, relying on them in order to get by at, at university or in your job, it's probably not a the best approach. Um, can it help? It certainly can. So. 100%. So anyway, we've gone through that. There's loads more peptides, you know, supplements, drugs, whatever that we could potentially talk about. Like it's literally an ever expanding list. There's always something new found. Oh, this, this works through this system and you know maybe this plays into it. And yeah, look, it's not going to cut. Co- we're not going to be able to cover everything. We just wanted to give you a quick overview of how these supplements work, what people are using. Again, some of them are drugs. You're not going to be able to go, oh, I'll just buy this over the counter. But again, it, it illustrates the point. Where do we actually start with this stuff, right? Because what I always argue, and I think you're of the same, Gary, we want to start with the minimal intervention. We want to start with like, okay, let's get the foundational stuff in place. And then we can start thinking about, oh, let's put the icing on the cake, right? Because very often people do it the exact opposite way. They have terrible foundational habits and then they go, oh, I'm going to take a drug to overcome them or I'm going to, my friend got some Ritalin. I'm going to go halves with them and buy it or whatever. You know, it's like, that's, it's, it might work, but it's the least effective way to do this stuff. Right. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I absolutely would agree. Okay. So I'm like, I've been in a, a student for about the bones of a decade now, you could say, and you know, the things that make the biggest difference are so incredibly obvious and obviously I, I say a student you could equally talk about work but a student a student life is a great example of you know where cognitive enhancement would be of benefit but like the basics the absolute basics are you studying every day oh you're not studying every day then why are you complaining about your grades why why are you looking at supplements you have to study and you have to do it consistently and I mean you know if you if you want to be the best student you can it's not about you know, showing up to lectures and kind of scrolling on your phone. It's not about, you know, skipping lectures. It's not about, um, you know, even just doing the assignments when they're due. You know, if you want to be a student and you want to actually be competent in the field that you're trying to study, you need to be taking things into your own hands. You know, are you doing your own reading? You know, not just the assigned reading, you're doing your own reading related to your field. You know, if you're studying, you know, medicine, are you, are you just studying what's in the exams or are you you know, going beyond what's presented in your lectures, going beyond what's presented um, in the hospital to you that day. That's what being a good student is is all about. And I know myself that there are so many things that I could do better. Obviously, a lot of my time as a student is, you know, taken by the fact that, you know, I work for triage. You know, this takes up a lot of a lot of my time. Could I be a better student if I didn't work? Of course I could. And I know what those steps would be. Those steps would be studying more. Those steps would be having a more... Uh, rigorous and regular study schedule, etc. So these are the basics. This is what you need to start with. And if you haven't got that down, my God, you're, you're leaving so many gains on the table. And that also includes things like, you know, not using social media all the time, not being on your phone all the time. You know, these things make such a profound difference. And worrying about something like alpha GPC, we're talking about speculative differences here in your outcomes you know we don't have clear evidence that you know taking alpha gpc is actually going to meaningfully enhance your grades but is studying an extra one to two hours a day and spending one to two hours less uh, per day on social media 
and maybe getting a bit more sleep and exercising regularly, is that going to enhance your grades? Almost certainly. Like I, I, I bet on you with that one. So this really is where you need to start. Yeah. And to put it in perspective, generally what we're saying, sleep eight plus hours per, per night. Okay. Get that down. Do whatever the fuck you need to do to get that eight hours at least of sleep per night. Right. We've talked about sleep before. We've talked about supplements for sleep. Supplements for sleep, again, that's still just the icing on the cake. It's the habits you form around sleep. That's the most important thing, right? And then it comes down to, are you eating a high-quality diet, right? Because we talked about it before in this episode, energy support, right? We could have supplements for energy support. But guess what is the best energy support? A good quality diet, right? So we don't need to, I don't think, spend too much time on describing what a good quality diet is, eat enough calories, eat your fruits and vegetables, eat enough protein, happy days, right? We've talked about it loads on the podcast. Go back and listen to the other episodes. We also have an article on the website that details how to set up your diet, right? The next thing then is engage in exercise, right? Aerobic exercise, especially getting your aerobic fitness, you know, higher. um, That seems to be associated with like consistently better cognition, right? And again, we can go into all the mechanisms of that, but it doesn't really matter. All we know is exercise is good for cognition. It's good for stress management. It's good for improving sleep. It's good for your health in general. So exercise. Again, you don't need to do an excessive amount, but you should be exercising each week, right? Then the next thing, before you start thinking about supplements, we're going to focus on improving your organizational skills, right? And what I mean by this is your scheduling and planning, right? Again, if you're going to go, oh, well, I'm going to get this drug or whatever, and I'm going to you know, just take it and hope for a better effect. Like you need to take the drug on the backdrop of having a good study system in place, a good scheduling system in place. You need to have a plan of action before you even take a drug, supplement, whatever, right? So that means you're going to have to sit down with your calendar. You're going to have to sit down with what needs to be done. And you're going to actually need to schedule it out. You're going to actually need to plan it out and go, okay, this is what needs to be done. This is how long I need to assign to this, blah, 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 right? If you're not doing that and you take drugs, you're still going to have the same issues you run into. You're going to be like, well, I don't, I haven't planned out. I haven't organized my schedule. So I don't know what needs to be prioritized. I don't know when I'm going to be doing things. So before you even think about anything, schedule and planning, right? Then, and this would be the first step, right? We want to introduce a small amount of caffeine, right? And again, I know most people are here going, oh yeah, but I drink like five cups of coffee or a day. So, you know, that's not going to really apply to me. If you are in that case, Gary, looking at you, that means you're already on a smart drug right? So you're already supplementing to improve your cognition, right? So why do you think if you're not maximizing this intervention already, why do you think just adding more things is going to work, right? Like if you're drinking five cups of coffee per day, and you know, your sleep is shit, you haven't organized your week, you haven't organized what needs to be done, you haven't planned things out. Like what what's the coffee doing? What what is another supplement, another drug going to do that caffeine isn't doing, right? So and caffeine works through multiple of these vectors or these mechanisms that we've talked about. So if you're already using the shotgun approach, which I would argue caffeine is, it's a shotgun approach. It does a lot of things relatively well. I don't think it's the best. I think for some people it's actually, you know, a net negative, but it's a shotgun approach, right? So if the shotgun approach is not working for you, again, you have to analyze why that is the case, right? Then if you go, okay, I've got that. I've really dialed it in. Caffeine is working for me. I'm having a small amount. I'm having a cup of coffee, you know, very early in the day before I get to work or get to study or whatever. And then I'm having another coffee, you know, middle of the day to kind of just really keep a a more even level of caffeine in my system. Cool. You've got that dialed in. Then the next thing you might 
introduce would be something like alpha GPC, right? See how you get on with that. That's where I would stop. For most people, that's going to solve 99.9% of the issues they have. If you want to take like specific supplements, a lot of the you know nootropic supplements out on the market they'll basically be some sort of combination of caffeine and alpha GPC. So it's working through that dopaminergic system and it's working through that acetylcholine system, right? So they're playing those two off it, right? Now, again, you could argue, well, well maybe I'll introduce some L-tyrosine or phenylalanine. Again, yeah, that might be the next step. So we're really just going to leverage the dopamine system a bit more. But for most people, caffeine and alpha GPC, that seems to be all they need on the backdrop of good scheduling, good planning, good habits, et cetera, right? The people that are arguing, oh, well, I need to have X, Y, Z extra. I need to do this thing. I need to be taking these drugs. Almost every single time you look into it, they have shit habits. They have shit sleep. They have shit diet. They have shitty other things going on in their life. And they would probably get more bang for their book with 100% certainty, less side effects if they just improve their sleep, improve their diet, improve their exercise habits, et cetera, you know? Um, would, would you agree with that, Gary, or do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I mean, my clients very often ask me about, you know, tips for productivity and things like that because, um, you know, I, I I do a lot of work, I do a lot of study, et cetera. It tends to go all right most of the time, so they ask for advice, and it almost always comes back to the the point of, organizational skills scheduling planning etc that's that's the big one for people you know because very often people that are into their health already they're trying to look after the sleep the nutrition's good they're exercising enough and then it really comes down to those organization skills and and that doesn't need to be complex it's like the real basic stuff like right you want to study more when are you going to study number one and if you're going to study then you have to make sure that you're not doing anything else during that time. You know, you're turning off your phone, you're focusing on that. You have a rough plan as to what you're going to do, et cetera. Because what a lot of people do is they, they don't have any organizational skills. So they'll just say, okay, I want to study more. And then they wake up the next morning, try to study as much as they can, but then they're leaving other things, you know, aside and clearly that's not going to work within their life. So that's really where I get most people to start. Um, Caffeine is something that I definitely use quite regularly. With that said, it's also something that I try to curtail when I, you know, see it climbing a little bit too high. So if I'm having more than three caffeinated beverages per day, that's generally for a limited period of time. And then I try and pull back. Okay. So that's kind of what I did recently. I've got my exams coming up in a few weeks. So I wanted a period of time before my exams where I was just having a little bit less caffeine. So I wasn't consuming as much as regularly so that I can be just a little bit more sensitized to it when I need it. And that's what I always encourage to people or encourage, encourage people to do. If you know there's a period of time where you need to be more switched on, then save these extra tools for when you need to be switched on. Okay. Um, and then something like Alpha GPC um, is, you know, a, a solid uh, introduction there to potentially assist you. There are plenty of other supplements that we didn't discuss in this podcast as well that other people enjoy. For example, something like Bacopa, Moniera, um, what else is there? Acetyl carnitine, many other supplements that potentially might fit in here. But what I would do is get those basics in place, then introduce one supplement for a period of time and see, did this make any difference? And obviously, it would want to be a supplement that you expect to have a difference within that period of time. So for example, something like a polyphenol intake long-term in the diet from blueberries, dark chocolate, et cetera, 
that enhances, um, that's good for your brain, but it's not something that you expect to, you know, see within four weeks. It's something that you might expect to see in, you know, 30 years down the line, you, you haven't had as much cognitive decline. So you have to ask yourself, is there something I should be noticing here as well? Um, so- also, you, this is where you can really trick yourself because you take something like caffeine, you can go, oh, I'm really stimulated. I'm, I'm really getting better results. Or like I said earlier on about like people going, oh, I'm just going to fast. And that's when I get my best cognitive work done. You can test this out. You can do stuff like there's online, like, uh, you know, word speed accuracy things like how fast do you type, you know, uh, like you should see an improvement in that if the drug, the supplement, whatever is going to go, it's actually improving your cognition. There's multiple tests, like again, like memory tests and different things. Now, are they fantastic? Are they perfect tests? No, but all you're using them for is some sort of baseline. And then, okay, I took this drug. Did it actually improve a measure of cognition, whatever it is. Again, there's hundreds online that you could find, right? Um, or you could just do something yourself, like have an actual, like, I don't know, memory, like short-term memory thing where you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to memorize these 15 words. Am I able to repeat them back in two minutes or whatever? You know, like there's different things that you could potentially do to actually have more objective data rather than that's kind of subjective. Because if we just rely on the subjective, you're going to take some stimulants and you're going to go, yeah, my cognition improved because you're more stimulated, but that doesn't actually mean that your cognition improved, right? Now, obviously if like you're sitting there half the day and you just really are like, eyes are in the back of your head, you just can't do anything. And then you get more stimulated. Yeah, you're probably gonna have improved cognition, <laughs> you know? But I would argue as well, like sleep is probably a better solution in, in that case. Now, obviously there's certain cases where you're gonna need to take drugs. Like if you have narcolepsy or fucking whatever, like again, that's probably going to be a bigger intervention than just sleep saying, oh, sleep is a, a better return on investment. But that is the case uh, for most people where sleep is probably better. Absolutely. And I don't think I have too much else to say. You know, that's that's most of what we wanted to cover. So um, other than that, guys, if you're interested in working with us in a coaching capacity to get your training and nutrition in order, um, we do have coaching spaces available. So that includes myself, it includes Patty, and it includes the remainder uh, of the triage team. So uh, get involved if you'd like. We also have a, a nutrition certification where you can get certified with us as a nutritionist to enhance your ability to coach others and also really enhance your nutrition knowledge. That includes some of the content that we've discussed in this episode, but in particular, what it really is going to cover is helping your clients to set up their diets optimally for health, performance, body composition. We've also got a lot of free information that we put out. So we've got the podcast here. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode and it's your first one, make sure you subscribe for more. If you enjoyed it and you'd like others to benefit, make sure that you share it with others or leave a rating and review. That would be great. We've also got a newsletter that we put out so you can subscribe to that below. And we've got our social media at Triage Method. You can follow on Instagram. It's probably the best place to catch us and uh, you'll get plenty of more free information from myself, from Patty and the Triage team. 100%. I mean, I don't have anything else to add. So uh, see you later, guys.